opera outlooks, masterclasses, opera boot camp, study days are all back live at the Metropolitan Opera Guild. Find out more about the exciting array of Met Opera Guild learning opportunities in this season on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. A brand new season of Metropolitan Opera Guild programs is ready to go on sale next week. After a successful season of virtual programming, we're excited to return with a combination of in-person and virtual events. I'm also extremely excited to welcome a new podcast co-host, Elspeth Davis. Thanks, Stuart. This season, our wildly popular opera boot camp will return with a virtual offering in the fall and in-person in the spring. We will also welcome Guild lecturer Matthew Timmermans to guide these courses. Matthew, this fall, Opera Boot Camp will offer audiences the chance to learn about stage direction in opera. What made you choose this topic? How opera has been staged has been a heated debate since its creation around the 16th century, and even more so since the emergence of Régie Opère, or opera staged in a director's vision. As opera companies wrestle with how to make opera more equitable and diverse, especially after the most recent conflict in the ongoing struggle between the police and communities of color, exploring how operas are staged is a particularly productive way to think about opera's problematic histories of elitism and exclusion, and how these issues have been addressed on the stage in opera's past and present. It's for this reason that I think it is essential that we explore, celebrate, and think critically about the way that opera has been staged, so that we might imagine how we can inclusively stage them in the future. Two famous opera scholars, Kellen Abate and Roger Parker, argue in their most recent history of opera that our current practice of performing opera is rather paradoxical. Because we view it pessimistically, we regularly revive a canon of works composed over 100 years ago. These operas come with a lot of historical baggage. They carry a belief system in race, gender, and sexuality that is very different from today. In my opinion, to perform these works as close to how the composer would have wanted, a man who was white and probably heterosexual, isn't enough to make opera accessible to everyone, to make everyone feels safe and included. Opera has a long history of being used as a political tool to teach audiences how they should behave. The most terrifying example being the Nazis. To return to your question about why this series is important to me, I think staging is one of the easiest and most accepted ways at the moment to address the problematic representations and histories that are baked into opera's plots and music. But to do that, more people need to know about these histories and problems that I believe are too often callously waved aside for the sake of great art. It's these thoughts and concerns that I have at the forefront of my mind and that I'm eager to share with the Guild's very curious listeners while tracing and comparing the practices of staging opera from its inception to the present 
This will be a virtual bootcamp with all of the lectures filmed and released at the same time, providing audiences with the opportunity to learn at their own pace. Does the virtual environment lend itself better to the scope of this topic, and has it influenced your research or approach? I think the virtual environment definitely lends itself to this topic. A lot of the material can be very dense, dealing with difficult and overwhelming discussions of racism, misogyny, and homophobia. I think giving audiences the opportunity to take the time to absorb this material in the privacy of their own home at their own pace is beneficial. When we have these difficult discussions in person, it can be easy to get lost or feel offended without having the chance to re-listen or reflect on what you've just seen or heard. A virtual environment offers the solace for the listener to have more control over their experience. As for my approach, it is definitely impacted knowing that listeners will have this freedom. I delve into a lot of topics in this series that I wouldn't normally dare in person because one, I have the time to polish it and film it without the fear of what might go wrong in person, and two, I like to think that audiences will be more receptive, being able to take the course at their own pace, to not be afraid to go back if they didn't understand something the first time. Then, in the spring, we'll return to in-person boot camp to explore opera and Greek drama. What are you most excited about exploring in this topic? For centuries, opera composers have drawn inspiration from Greek drama, whether it's stories, staging, or philosophy. In this series, there will be a significant focus on adaptation, a personal passion of mine. I've laid out the series so that we look at how different composers in different times and contexts interpreted stories from Orpheus to Agamemnon. These interpretations have inspired operatic reform, raunchy comedies, and pushed tonality to its limits. The sheer multitude of creative responses is incredibly exciting and covers some of my favorite pieces in the repertoire, including Offenbach's operettas, Berlioz's Les Trayennes, and Strauss's Elektra. Our fall opera boot camp, Introduction to Operatic Staging, will be released on November 1st, and our in-person spring boot camp, Opera and Greek Drama, will be presented in four parts on Saturday, May 5th, and May 12th. That was the prelude from Wagner's Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, which kicks off the first of four virtual score reading classes on Saturday, October the 30th. I sat down with our instructor, Dr. Naomi Purley, to learn a bit more about this season's classes. 
Naomi, this season we have four operas that span the musical eras. Tell us a little bit about the operas and what you hope participants will take away from exploring them. This season's score reading operas were all composed within exactly one century, starting with Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor in 1835 and going all the way through to Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, which premiered in 1935. But what a century these works cover! Lucia di Lammermoor is the most iconic opera of the bel canto period and is without a doubt Donizetti's most popular opera. Rigoletto, composed a little over 15 years later, showcases Verdi's new approach to Italian opera just after the peak of bel canto's popularity. And while it's hard to choose favorites among Verdi's middle period masterpieces, I've got to say that Rigoletto may be mine, and I suspect that many of our listeners might feel the same way. Wagner's music drama Die Meistersinger, which was composed about 20 years after Rigoletto in 1868, gives us a taste of how Wagner revolutionized German opera in the mid to late 19th century. But if you're expecting lots of tragedy and mythos, think again. Meistersinger is the only comedy out of Wagner's music dramas, and it also is based largely in a historical period and doesn't contain any references to Nordic myths or magic or any supernatural elements. So we'll be looking at how Wagner applies musical techniques more readily associated with epic tragedies like the Ring Cycle or Tristan and Isolde to a completely different style of narrative in Meistersinger. Finally, Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, composed a century after Lucia di Lammermoor, was the first American opera to achieve widespread success, and it remains very popular today. But Gershwin's score, which melds his own jazzy idiom with some of the latest developments in early 20th century opera, so think of composers like Alban Berg or Bella Bartok, um, is not without controversy. In recent years, music scholars and audiences have questioned the validity of a cosmopolitan white composer taking it upon himself to write a folk opera depicting the music, culture, and dialect of rural Black Americans. So we'll certainly have a lot of rich issues to explore and unpack in that class. If participants were new to score reading, is there one opera in this series you would recommend that they start with? I'd recommend that students begin with either of the Italian operas, Lucia di Lammermoor or Rigoletto. The reason being that Donizetti and Verdi composed in a style that's just a little bit easier to follow on the score. Their music isn't nearly as chromatic as Wagner or Gershwin's, and so it's a little bit easier to keep track of the key changes. Additionally, they use smaller orchestras and their orchestration is quite a bit simpler than either Wagner or Gershwin's. Rigoletto and Lucia are also two classics of the opera canon. They're among those operas that those who might be new to score reading or just new to opera in general might be most likely to be familiar with already. I think the score reading classes, not just Lucia and Rigoletto, but all the score reading classes, can be particularly valuable if you do already have some basic familiarity with the work before you attend the class. In the spring, conductor, composer, and guild lecturer Victoria Bond returns with a new three-part course entitled Verdi, the Innovator. 
Victoria, Verdi composed an astonishing output of 26 operas. Tell us a bit about this course and what audiences can expect. When we think of innovators who have transformed opera, the first name that usually comes to mind is Richard Wagner. He certainly was a revolutionary, and his concept of music drama and Gesamtkunstwerk, or total work of art, was predicted to change forever opera in the future. Wagner wanted to do away with individual arias and recitatives and create one continuous flow of music. His dramas incorporated detailed instructions and production notes regarding the sets, costumes, and lighting, all of which were part of the complete dramatic experience. However, there was another revolutionary who lived at the same time as Wagner, but his innovations were more gradual and consisted of rethinking, refining, and expanding those traditions that came before him. His name? was Giuseppe Verdi. Verdi took the best of the bel canto legacy from Rossini, Bellini, and Donizetti and adapted it in his early operas, emphasizing the beauty and expressive qualities of the human voice above all else. In the first lecture, we will listen to the gorgeous melodies and virtuoso coloratura in Verdi's early operas Nabucco, Ernani, and Macbeth and compare and contrast them with Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor and Bellini's Norma. In this way, we can identify the traditions Belcanto offered Verdi and the ways in which he applied and changed them to serve his own growing mastery. One specific area where he differed from his predecessors was in his use of chromatic harmony, expanding the diatonic harmony he inherited. With this new range of options, he was able to create more subtle shadings of tension in his characters. In the second lecture, we will explore three of Verdi's best-loved operas, Rigoletto, La Traviata, and Simon Boccanegra, to show his growing interest in the orchestra during his middle period. We will compare and contrast them with Gounod's Faust and Berlioz's Les Troyennes, written at the same time in France closely examining Verdi's concept of the orchestra. His use of unusual instruments, such as the solo double bass in Rigoletto to emphasize the dark character of Sparafucile, was one of the brilliant and innovative touches in Verdi's orchestration. In the third session, we will analyze three of Verdi's late operas, Don Carlo, Otello, and Falstaff comparing and contrasting them with Wagner's Das Rheingold and Parsifal. One striking feature that is consistent throughout all of Verdi's operas is the human voice as the principal communicator. With all of his growing sophistication, harmonic subtlety, and dazzling counterpoint, Verdi never abandoned the voice. It is the singer that propels the drama and Verdi trusts the singer's voice to carry its message. In Falstaff, Verdi utilizes brilliant counterpoint to illuminate the vivacious and quick-moving comedy. He had struggled to compose a comedy at the beginning of his career, but Un giorno di regno was a complete failure. It was a time of tragedy in Verdi's life, and he did not attempt to write another comedy for many years. 
So when Boito, a major composer in his own right, suggested Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor, Verdi was reluctant to attempt the challenge, partly due to his advanced age. However, he captured the sophistication and playful nature of Shakespeare's play in Falstaff and crowned his 26 operas with a work that celebrates life and laughter. Do you have a favorite Verdi opera and why? A favorite Verdi opera. This is a very difficult question to answer because I love so many of them. It's like a mother asking, which is your favorite child? Um, well, let's start with Falstaff because that is the last and, of course, so brilliantly going off in a, in a new direction for Verdi with all of the counterpoint, and I love counterpoint. Um, so I adore Falstaff. I have had the uh, occasion to conduct it, and it is certainly one of my favorite works. But I also have to say I love Otello and I love Rigoletto. I have a personal attachment to Rigoletto because my father sang the role of Sparafucile at the New York City Opera. And so I heard that from the time I was a small child, and I, of course, love the character, the evil Sparafucile, but the music of Rigoletto is so engaging that I have to say that's one of my favorites. And of course, Verdi, there, there's something always attractive about Verdi's operas, even when they have less of an individual character as some of the early works, then you can really see the bel canto underpinning shining through. But the way Verdi used them was so much himself that I love those operas as well. My first experience at Juilliard was with La Traviata. I was a conducting major. And the opera that uh, was being produced was La Traviata. So that was really the first opera that I learned thoroughly, knowing all of the libretto, being able to sing all of the lines, being able to play them on the piano, and uh, really thoroughly immersing myself in the opera, which was then produced at Juilliard with Six and Erling conducting. So I love La Traviata. It has particular memories. And I can go on and on, but <laughs> in the interest of time, I probably should say that there is not one single opera that I would say is my all-time favorite. I love so many of them. Verdi the Innovator will be presented on Thursdays, April 28th, May 5th, and 12th from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. in person at the Guild's Opera Learning Center here in New York City. If you can't join us live, no worries. We plan to release this course via our online learning platform in June 2022. So
That was soprano and Met Opera Guild Artist Council member Harlan Blackwell singing Summertime from the Gershwin's Pargy and Bess. On Wednesday, March 16th at 7 p.m., we'll present a masterclass with Harlan at the Bruno Walter Auditorium here in New York City. Harlan, thanks so much for joining us on this preview episode. For this masterclass, you're going to work with three singers on repertoire that is specifically in English. Why English and not one of the other romance languages that we might hear on the opera stage? I thought it would be appropriate to concentrate on the English language because the Met, along with many of our opera companies, are programming more contemporary operas as well as standard repertoire in English. This season alone, the Met has programmed four operas in English. This is our native language, and singers will need to be able to sing beautifully and to be able to be understood. What do you hope audiences will take away from attending this masterclass? It is my hope the audience will leave the masterclass with a newfound appreciation of the beauty and richness of opera sung in English. I look forward to seeing you on March 16th. Tickets for all of these programs and much more will go on sale Tuesday, September 14th. For more information, visit metguild.org slash for the community. I hope you make plans to join us this season. Please make sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera Guild, Opera News, and the Metropolitan Opera on your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all things opera. I'm Stuart Holt. And I'm Elspeth Davis. Thanks for listening.